I want to rent you. You want to rent me? Yeah. You pretend you like me, and we go out for just a few weeks, and that will make me popular. Just going out with me is not going to make you popular. Well, I have a thousand dollars. It says it will. I think you've mowed one too many lawns. A high school nerd becomes popular after he pays a cheerleader to pretend that she's dating him. For our Valentine's Day episode, special guest Courtney Noah joins us to discuss the secret of every relationship, the funniest word for breast, and how James never got a date at his astronomy club. (laughs) Then we find out if Can't Buy Me Love stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and happy Valentine's Day. This is Alan Noah, and I am here with my two special Valentines, my wife, Courtney. Hello. And my podcast partner, James. Your other lover. Hello, Alan. You know, podcast lover. What's a podcast lover? Well, I mean, it has all the responsibilities of a relationship with all the love of a relationship a couple of the bad sides of a relationship with <laughs> some of the tax breaks of a relationship and some of the scheming of a relationship. Um, I don't think any of that is right. I mean, maybe the first one or two were right. <laughs> um, but Courtney, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I'm very curious about uh, James's line of response there. I don't know. How, how do you keep the spark alive, James? <laughs> Should we compare notes? Well, what I like to do is as I'm watching the film, I'm like, Al hated that. Al hated this part. And I love being able to feel Al's hatred. That doesn't explain how you keep the spark alive. How do you keep the spark alive? The other thing that keeps the spark alive is the sleepovers. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's how we keep the spark alive. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> and by that, you mean our- I'm away. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, then. Um, ouch. But okay, fine. Sure. That works, too. So sleepovers are the secret to all relationships. <laughs> I guess so. Well, Courtney, we we usually have you on for Valentine's Day, and I asked if you wanted to come on this year uh, to talk about a movie, and you picked Can't Buy Me Love, and I was surprised because there were plenty of movies that I thought you might have picked. This was not on my radar at all. Why did you choose Can't Buy Me Love? I was hemming and hawing, and you didn't give me any other suggestions. I gave you I a million suggestions. I was like, let's do Say Anything, or Bound, or Outside Providence, or like other okay, movies. Okay, well, two of those are not not in the category of Valentine's Day, and I don't remember you saying Say Anything. I thought we'd done that. No? No. <laughs> oh, maybe I, I mischose. Uh, well, well, we can do that for Valentine's Day 2024. There we go. Put it in the calendar now. Sure. But you had clearly seen this movie before, right, Courtney? Oh, I grew up watching this movie. Yes. 
you grew up watching it. I watched it, probably rented it, and then it was always on TV. Like Sunday afternoon movie? Exactly, exactly. Okay. I had never seen it. I think I'd maybe heard of it. James, had you seen this movie before? You know, I had seen parts of this film. Joanna, my sister, uh, who's been on the show a lot, I feel like she rented this film on a sleepover, and I just, you know, watched a little bit of it, and then either got bored or, uh, you know, did something else. Maybe that's when I used to watch it a lot, was those girl sleepovers in the 80s. It could have been one of those rentals that were often selected. Okay. Once we started watching it, I was surprised that it was like from the 80s because I didn't know Patrick Dempsey was that old where he could have had a role in the 80s. I would have guessed that he was younger and it would have been like early 90s. He was 20 years old. And Amanda Peterson, who plays the uh, the female lead, she was only 15. I kind of felt like they both looked high school-esque, you know, like it wasn't like he looked way too old to play a high schooler. No, he actually looked maybe even a little younger than she did. I don't know if it was just his baby face. Oh, Patrick Dempsey's career, it was completely saved by Grey's Anatomy. I completely remembered him from this film and this film specifically, but he popped up in films that were not very successful. He was in another film called Lover Boy. I believe he was like a pizza delivery boy that whenever they ordered extra anchovies, that was code for he would basically be a gigolo. Uh, He was in another movie called Run and Mobsters, but he was not in a a lot of films. And then in the 90s, he had a smaller role in a movie that we will review uh, sometime uh, with honors. Um, But people know him today as uh, a doctor from Grey's Anatomy, uh, McDreamy, right, Courtney? Uh, Yes, I believe so. (laughs) Yeah, you you weren't a big Grey's Anatomy watcher. Uh, I watched it early on. It kind of bored me over time. It's funny because I only had heard of him as McDreamy in Grey's Anatomy. And in this movie, he's supposed to be the opposite of Dreamy. Yeah, but I don't think anyone thinks he's ugly in this movie. He's just a nerd. I think he's actually a cute nerd. It's just no one acknowledges him because of his uh, geek outs. All right. It's more about his ugly personality, I guess. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, classic to any Hollywood makeover film, the person is already quite good looking. Uh, You know, Anne Hathaway is already beautiful before her uh, Princess Diaries makeover. Patrick Dempsey, he's a handsome boy. It was like he had glasses and he had like a a big like uh, fro for hair. Right, right. For people out there who haven't seen Can't Buy Me Love, it's about Ronald Miller, played by Patrick Dempsey, who's a nerdy high school senior who desperately wants to be popular. When cheerleader Cindy Mancini, played by Amanda Peterson, accidentally destroys her mother's suede outfit, Ronald agrees to pay $1,000 to replace it, if she pretends to be dating Ronald for an entire month. Ronald's plan works, and when he becomes popular, he leaves his old friends behind. Cindy learns that she likes the real Ronald and not the newer, popular version, but Ronald is happy to leave Cindy behind and date her friends. Ronald's popularity continues to grow until Cindy finally reveals that he paid to be popular. Then Ronald must finally decide who he is and who he wants to be with. So this was a modest hit in the 80s or pretty big hit? 
You know, I thought this was going to be either a flop or a modest hit, but the film was made on a shoestring of a budget. It was only a couple million, two million dollars is what I saw. And it opened number three on August 14th, 1987 with $4.7 million after Stakeout and The Living Daylights. Do you remember either of those films? Stakeout. I remember Living Daylights. That's a Bond oh. movie, right? Oh, really? I don't know that one. I was going to say, I feel like Stakeout sounds familiar. Stakeout, I think, is maybe a Richard Dreyfus film. Okay, yeah. And The Living Daylights, yes, uh, that, that was the 80s resurrection of Bond, like after the Roger Moore years. And right. uh, th- this film wound up making $34 million in theaters. And like Courtney said, this is the kind of film that people rented for years. This film has made a, a lot of money. There was a Nick Cannon remake uh, called Love Don't Cost a Thing. That was a loose remake of this film. And right. uh, yeah, actually, I was totally surprised by the box office take. This is, you know, almost the uh, Bloomhouse model. You make a film for two million bucks. It doesn't have to be a dynamite hit. It just got to make, uh, you know, eight million bucks or more. And this one made 34. Right. OK, so when the movie starts, Ronald is mowing lawns and he's in Arizona. So I was surprised by that because you would think that there wouldn't be a ton of lawns to mow in Arizona. We were commenting on that. Like, wait, one second you see lawns, the next second you see cacti. Little strange. There's a lot of lawns that are uh, growing in Arizona. You know, it might not be the best for the environment. And right now there's all kinds of crazy water crises going on in Arizona. But the golf courses are still beautiful. I'm totally ignorant on that stuff, to be honest, but there are a lot of lawns in places. You'd be like, huh, wow, that is a beautiful lawn and what I thought was a desert. Now that you say that, I think there was a John Oliver thing about that. That sounds familiar about like all of these lawns in the desert that they just like keep making sure that their lawns look nice, even though they're destroying the environment for a really stupid reason. But James, he's saving up to buy a telescope. So did you feel like a special connection with this character? Uh, I did the exact same thing when I was in high school. What? Uh, Joanne and I, we worked at a nursing home for an entire summer. I saved up enough to buy a telescope. That's what I wanted when I was like 15 years old. It was not $1,000. I bought a telescope called a Dobsonian telescope, which is, I think it might have been like $3.99. I used like every penny that I earned that summer, and I bought a telescope. Yeah, I did the same thing. Wow. And were you just as big of a nerd as Ronald is in this movie? I was the youngest member of the Rockland Astronomy Club, and we would come and have what what are called (laughs) star parties. (laughs) So, yes. Yes, you were just as big of a nerd. Well, star parties are awesome. Like, people would come, and I would have my little, like, uh, eight-inch Orion Dobsonian uh, Deep Space Explorer telescope. When you come to a star (laughs) party, people bring, like... uh, 10, 12, uh, 15 telescopes, and they are huge. And these people are like, you know, grown-ups, I guess, our age now. But uh, these telescopes are thousands of dollars. These are Ronald Miller telescopes, uh, or much better than Ronald Miller telescopes. So that's pretty awesome. How many girls from your high school were at these star parties, James? Zero. Okay, that's what I thought. Wow, that's surprisingly nerdy. And I say that as a huge nerd. Didn't we go to a star party or something like that at Cornell once? 
Did we? I think so. Like, after we graduated. Didn't we go to something where there was, like, something you could see, and there were all these people there that brought their telescopes? Maybe? Yeah. Fun fact about star parties. Uh, There's literally no such thing. red flashlights when they need to look up something so that you don't lose your, uh, you know, night vision there. I'll bet you really did think that was fun when you heard it, right, Al? I, I don't think you understand what the word fun means, James. That was not a fun fact. Those star parties were awesome. Sure, you, you keep telling yourself that. But, you know, there's something that you really got to talk about in this film. And in the 80s and 90s, not to the extent that it was done in these films, but the popular versus not popular, there was definitely a divide. Again, not as exaggerated maybe as some of the films were. I was never thrown into any dumpsters or anything like that. But there were the cool kids and the not cool kids, and there really wasn't much uh, upward mobility in that regard. So the premise of this film is kind of fascinating. And the fact that it works is actually pretty fascinating in and of itself as a social experiment. I believe that it really could work. Courtney, you were not a super nerd in high school, right? Or were you? Um, I would say it was like mid-tier. Okay. Yes. <laughs> did you did you want to be higher than mid-tier? Well, higher tier was like the sporty kids. So okay. that wasn't my scene. So I was okay with that. Well, let me ask you this. For prom, did you have to ask someone out? Was it a friend situation? So so I went to an all-girls school, so there was always girls asking the guys. Got it, got it. Okay, that, that's a slightly <laughs> different situation. <laughs> yes, exactly. I think I kind of felt maybe similar to you, Courtney, where I was not cool by any stretch, not anywhere near as nerdy as James. I wasn't going to star parties, <laughs> but I was also like okay with where I was. Like I had my group of friends. We were nerds. We knew we were nerds. It was fine. I didn't feel like desperate to climb the the social ladder. I mean, honestly, I would have loved to have had a, a girlfriend or a date in high school, which I didn't have. But the idea of like moving from one group to another, it didn't really motivate me. You sure about that? I think so. Would your friends align with that? I yeah. I mean, there's we were... no secret crushes that they may want to bring up. Um, <laughs> no, I didn't have any secret crushes. The girls I liked, I asked out and got rejected constantly, but I didn't have any secret crushes. I tried and I failed, and then I hung out at Aaron's house. Like even the word "click," I know what that word means. I don't think anyone in my high school ever said it out loud. Like, they say it a lot in this movie. Was that, like, a thing people talked about in your school? In the all-girls school? I don't know. Girls are a little bit more clickier, so uh, maybe. In my high school, you would say it, but not about yourselves. You wouldn't say, our right. clique is great. But you would totally say, oh, she's been hanging out now in uh, Courtney's clique. Yeah, exactly. And it didn't always have to be, like, popularity. Maybe there was just, like, a falling out and suddenly... You're out of that group and into a new group. Interesting. See, in my mind, click was a word that, like, the parents would say of, like, oh, you're not with that click? You're like, oh, mom, we don't say that. That's not a word people say. Like, like when your mom would say, oh, are you going to have a play date with that person? You'd be like, oh, no, I'm going to go hang out with him. It's not a play date. But you, you know what? The movie did kind of make me think of in that regard of, like, moving from click to click. Freaks and Geeks. That was 
the main point or the main construct of that show where Lindsay Weir is a nerd and then she decides to be a freak and then the geeks are trying to be cool and they want to date, you know, the the pretty popular cheerleader. Well, it's not too different either from Mean Girls. I mean, there's different motivations in trying to get into that cool or popular group, but Mean Girls is, is similar too, right? She's trying to understand what makes them tick and get insights. Right. I guess it's not an unheard of sort of concept of like how you break in. And I think the interesting thing that happens in this movie is that really the hardest part is just crossing that line. Once you're there, once you're at the the cool kids table, once you're in that little group, it kind of doesn't matter at that point. Cause then you can be a little bit weird and then it's like, Oh, you're weird, but it's okay. You know, you can be the same person you were before, but when you're on the other side, then you're ostracized. And when you're on the good side, then it's cool and quirky and fun. Right. And I think they take that to the extreme when they show in the movie, he still has those elements of his less cool, nerdy self, like driving his dad's station wagon, and then suddenly it becomes the cool thing to do. Exactly. Like, once you're considered cool and you drive a station wagon, then everyone wants to drive a station wagon. The whole thing at the dance, that dance he's doing is not a cool dance. And if he had done that the previous year when he was a nerd, everyone would have laughed him out of the room. But when they have decided that he's popular, now that's the cool dance and everyone wants to do it. It's all arbitrary. Uh, when you look back on the high school popular versus not popular crowd, there's certain people that I think they would have been popular in almost any typical American high school. She's beautiful. He's good looking, great athlete. Uh, certain people would just have those qualities. But then there are other people and you realize she was just in that group. So everyone kind of associated her with being better looking than she was. And, oh, he's going out with her. Wow. And you later realize um, these things can totally be elevated just by the idea that they're popular. I do think that that part of the film is totally believable. Not necessarily the dance, but everything else. The fact that everyone's high-fiving him. So if the jocks high-five him, everyone's going to high-five him. It's also kind of about class, though, right? Because the popular kids are the rich kids. Cindy is a rich girl, and she can go to the mall and buy whatever she wants with mom's credit cards. And Ronald is a poor kid who has to mow the rich kids' lawns to save up money. And that kind of makes him nerdy. Like, the fact that you're poor doesn't help. Oh, was he poor? I mean, looking at his house... Okay, maybe he wasn't poor, but he was less wealthy than the popular kids. Yeah. You know, Ronald Miller's parents might have been rich. That doesn't mean they spoiled him. He wants a $1,000 telescope, and his parents might have been like, you know, son, you're going to earn it. I guess. Also, kind of along those lines, the whole, like, conceit of the film is based around the fact that Cindy needs to replace this dress that she ruined and she can't. And, you know, Ronald has to swoop in and save the day with his thousand dollars. But she has the credit cards. She can buy whatever she wants. Why doesn't she just buy the new dress with her mom's credit card? 
they're taken away in the scene beforehand because she had used all the credit cards. You were only supposed to use the Neiman Marcus card. And then she takes him away. So it's possible for that specific night, the mom has him with her. I I felt like they could have explained that a little more later in the movie. She's buying Ronald's sunglasses. She has all the credit cards again. She can buy whatever she wants. It just felt like, wait, why is this the one thing she can't buy? Was anyone else confused by the mom situation? Yes, I was confused by it. And it also seemed like that was an interesting thing that maybe they could have explored, like the relationship between Cindy and her mom, where her mom's apparently single and dating creepy old men and the creepy old men hit on Cindy. But then later they do have a moment where they're like, oh, let's just sit down and watch a movie together. So it's a maybe complicated mother-daughter relationship, but like they don't really explore it. Right. Is the mom just independently wealthy too? Like where is she getting her money from? I think there were scenes cut from the mom character's uh, part because you're right. It goes places that should have a payoff at the end. That also kind of leads to the real life story of Amanda Peterson. James, do you know that, that she like died fairly young? She was our age. She was 43. No, I, I didn't know that. Uh, what happened to her? Apparently... When she was 15, maybe on the set of this movie, she was raped by an older man, and that led to depression and drug addiction, and she died of an accidental drug overdose in her 40s. And, you know, it's a horrible, horrible story that puts a negative light on the entire movie, but then especially that one scene where she's at home and the mom's creepy date is, like, leering at her, It's like, oh, shit, in real life, this 15-year-old girl was raped by an older man, and then she later died, you know, perhaps indirectly because of that. It's just, like, really fucking awful. And I think that scene in the movie is supposed to be, like, kind of a joke. You know, like, he's a creepy old dude hitting on her. Yeah, no, that is sad. Very sad. Yeah, I actually think that uh, Amanda Peterson did a very good job in this role because the one thing that goes in Ronald's favor is not that he's just dating her. She really sells it and she gets what she wants. She's paid up front for this uh, month of companionship and, you know, she gets a suede jacket and she presumably uh, puts it back in mom's closet without her knowing All she kind of has to do is tell her friends, like, this simp, uh, you know, paid me a thousand bucks and I got to pretend he's my boyfriend for a month. In the beginning, she's like, no handholding, no doing this. She does things that make him look cool. I think she went well above the terms of her contract, even from the way beginning, before she started falling for him. Right. And then even at the end, when they go on that date and they're looking at the old planes, that's a date For the two of them, no one else is around. They're not doing that for show. Like when they first start going out, they go to the pizza place where everyone goes. That's a place to be seen. That's the point. And then later on, it's just for them to hang out together alone. That's what a date is. I think she likes him, though. I think, you know, like, obviously it becomes more than just like. But I think as she's hanging out with him, she's starting to see like, oh, he's He's a nice enough guy. He has some interesting interests. Right. And then the problem is, is that he can't see that. That thought should dawn on him of like, hey, we've been hanging out at this plain graveyard for hours. 
and we're really getting along really well. No one else is here. She doesn't have to do this, but she clearly wants to. Hey, maybe there's some connection, but he's too singularly focused on the popularity thing that like she was ready to kiss him and he's just like, oh, so let's talk about how we're going to break up tomorrow because he's thinking ahead. He's planning phase two. Yeah. And I think for her too, she, you know, maybe the cool crowd is a bit vanilla. You know, it gets boring hanging out with the same type of person. So even just mixing it up a little bit starts to get her interest and then opens her eyes. I was expecting one trope of this film to happen that really didn't. And that is the college boyfriend. He's not talking about her. There's a time when he's on television and he says, the one thing I miss at home, and uh, I forget what he says, but it's certainly not, or he says like the equipment at the gym, but it's certainly not the girl at home. And I'm expecting like, oh, while you're dating this guy, like, no, you have a boyfriend, but no, he's cheating on you. But it never turns out, or at least we never find out he is. And for all we know, she actually kind of broke his heart by doing this whole thing. I was totally waiting for that quote-unquote cliche that really didn't happen and surprised me. Well, I think the thing is, is that he never calls. She misses him and he's just off in college and he hasn't reached out. And yeah, this is before email and texting and all that, but he could still call, you know? And so that's like the asshole thing that he does but I think you're absolutely right James that she is in the wrong by dating someone else and yeah she could if she was worried about word getting back to him just kind of pick up the phone and say hey just so you know I'm doing this thing I ruined my mom's dress there was a whole thing he's helping me out I am helping him out but don't worry we're just friends it could have been solved with a phone call yeah I feel like he's just a forgotten character What he is is a plot device that they kind of just forget about and then pick up. When he shows up at the party and then, like, he finds out that uh, Cindy was dating Ronald and he gets all mad, there was something really, really wrong with his sync. Like, the audio did not match his mouth movements. I rewound it last night when we were watching it because I was like, what the hell is wrong with this audio They clearly dubbed it in after the fact. Apparently, that guy is the announcer on The Price is Right. So it's not like he has some weird voice. I saw a lot of weird lighting shots, like when there were the reaction shots of some of the girls or when they were responding. I did rent this from Amazon, and I specifically rented the HD version. So it wasn't one of those uh, standard F uh, bad things, unless this film was not really uh, remastered. I don't think it was remastered. So I don't really know why I paid the extra for the HD. (laughs) That might have been a waste of $2. But I mean, you said they made this movie on a shoestring budget. You can kind of see that at a couple places. Oh, absolutely. There's another 80s thing that happens a lot. Um, They say uh, what today we'd call the R word a lot, uh, especially by uh, a young Seth Green. He pops up in this film. He's adorable. He's so cute. Uh, Is he? (laughs) He's just so annoying. He's like always there. Yeah, but like he's a cute, annoying younger brother, I thought. I want to bring up the fashion because you kind of commented on that while we were watching the movie. So watching it, I had to think back. I was like, wow, were we just like 
much more professionally dressed when we went to school and I just forgot about this. I'm like, wait, what did I wear to school in the 80s? And I, I did have parents who did not like me to wear jeans to school. I will say that. So really? I Yes, I did not wear jeans. Why? Maybe until sixth grade because it did not look right. Not professional, but it didn't look like nice enough. Really? Yes, yes. Wow. And then I went to private school where I wore a uniform, so I really didn't wear jeans. Okay. Honestly, everything that they're wearing in this movie is ridiculous. But it's also the fact that, again, this movie takes place in Arizona, and there's a lot of, like, sweaters and vests. Jackets. And, yeah. And, and like jackets. Yeah. Just a lot of, like, layers, you know, like, long sleeve shirts with a vest on top and a jacket over it. It's like... Arizona's a hundred degrees. Well, there was one scene where he was mowing the lawn. He's all sweaty. He has jeans on, but I think like a tank top. And then it pans over to them in the car and they're all wearing like long sleeves. And I was like, really? Wait, this doesn't line up. Maybe they're on their way to an air conditioned movie. Perhaps. Mm. I think they had the, the windows down though. It was like a convertible. It seemed like they were making a play for like, okay, let's try to cram all the cool looks in here. That's exactly what it is. I mean, these are the cool kids and we have to show it by the fashion. And since it's 1987, it's hysterical. Also, the hair, like the hair on the cheerleaders, it's so big and so high. It's like almost like Marge Simpson hair. And I get it that in the 80s, there there were perms and there was a lot of product in that hair but i would just have to think if you're a cheerleader like dancing around in the arizona heat you wouldn't want your hair to be that big and have that much product in it right well i think you would if you want to look cool that seems like so much work and actually speaking of the cheerleaders if you picked up on that pretty cool choreographed scene choreographed by the one and only paula abdul and apparently she made a cameo in that scene but i didn't see her i I didn't either i don't know if paul abdul was a cameo in like the cheerleading part or like at the dance later or no i think it's i think i read in the cheerleading part but i didn't i mean there was a lot of girls in that scene so maybe she was somewhere in there you know why you didn't see her because she wasn't dancing with a cartoon cat oh yes then you would have seen her and what was that cat's name al mc scat cat that's right. I knew you'd know that. And I, I think it was cat with a K, maybe? Probably. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> it should have been if it wasn't. You know, that dance was so ridiculous for so many reasons because this is 1987. He needs to watch television because he needs to learn a dance move. It's one of these things you're so showing the uh, screenwriter's age. The screenwriter is presumably a 30, 40-year-old person who, when they were younger, where did they watch cool dance moves? American Bandstand in, like, you know, the 60s and 70s. It's 1987. Come on. There's one place and one place alone where this kid would want to look to find cool dance moves, and that's MTV. Yeah, American Bandstand was still on in 1987, but I get your point that it was not where the cool kids would go 
they would go to MTV. Right, right. And the premise of the scene is he thinks he's watching American Bandstand, but instead he's watching some like African dance hours. So he learns this African dance and he thinks it's going to be a really cool dance. And he does the whole thing. He watches this dance for like three minutes. And first of all, congratulations. Like, wow, he is a master dancer because he watched the dance and mimicked it perfectly. No playbacks. This is not YouTube. And then, of course, the entire uh, dance hall breaks into this ridiculous dance that he's doing. It's kind of funny because, of course, the dance kind of looks somewhat appropriate when done like all together it looks kind of funny but that is one of those takes you out of the film for me because the whole uh, you know dance party doing that together just never ever happens right right also i was thinking about the mtv thing he would have mtv because he says later to one of the girls that he does have cable right she says something about like oh you've never seen titties like these and he's like well my parents do have cable so then he would have MTV. Also, the word titties just kind of <laughs> makes me like that chuckle like that because yeah. it's just such a weird word. What was she supposed to say? Boobs? Breasts? I think boobs, right? Boobs? I, I mean, at that point, you've never seen boobs yeah. like this is not going to make you laugh. Uh, tit is. <laughs> tit is different than titty. Like, hey, check out my tits. Like, okay, I guess that's like maybe sexy but check out my titties that extra syllable at the end it sounds like old lady like uh, <laughs> <a> chain smoker <laughs> i'm visualizing al giving a comedy class where he's like words for breasts that are not funny breast boob tit what about titty exactly see tit is not the same as titty if you want laughs <laughs> titty that's the word you want to say and that's going to be a master class by alan noah <laughs> this has been my ted talk no i mean honestly as a writer i think about this stuff and writers do obsess over every word and which is funnier tit or titty or whatever like if you're focused on writing something that's going to be funny you choose every word very very carefully and yeah tit and titty do sound different <laughs> wasn't that a george carlin thing where he talks about tit and how that was like one of the words that was banned and he's like tit shouldn't be on the list it's just a cute little word tit you want me to stop saying tit courtney yes okay sorry <laughs> sorry and only say titty <laughs> Neither, please. Let's move on. Okay, let's move on. Let's talk about the big finale moment when Ronald comes to the aid of his friend because his friend is talking with one of the popular girls and one of the jocks is going to beat him up. And Ronald's like, hey, you can't do that. I'm going to defend my friend, which is sweet. But then he grabs a baseball bat and he slams it against the table and is like, you're going to listen to me right now. The older woman, like the, the teacher that's about to enter retirement comes forward. Right. And then the other guy is like, no, no, let's see what happens. Let's hear what he has to say. The guy with the bat. Right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, no, I don't think that would happen. That does not stand the test of time. But like the speech that he gives, I thought was really sweet and nice. And it's all about what we were saying before about like the 
arbitrary nature of who's on which side of the cafeteria, and we all used to be friends when we were in fourth grade. What changed? Who cares? I did something wrong because I tried to buy my way in, but my friend, he's just doing a nice thing and helping out this cheerleader, and you shouldn't be mean to him. It was all right. I feel like all of the beats were right. The sentiment was correct, but it felt really hollow to me for like a lot of reasons, not the least of which was we didn't really see that kid trying to be nice to that cheerleader other than for just those two seconds at the beginning of that scene. Yeah, he's just trying to buy his way in another way. Maybe not with money, but with his his brain power. Like, was he really just trying to be a nice guy or is he trying to worm his way into the popular crowd? That right. brings up a really interesting point because had uh, that friend of his said something earlier like, yeah, you're with Cindy, but uh, any of those girls, I could be with them just by being a nice guy. That's all you got to do. Just be yourself, Ronald, you know, et cetera, et cetera, cliche stuff. And then he shows, yes, uh, he is with her by being himself. You're right. There's no real reason why she's with him. Or even if she realized like, hey, Cindy was with, uh, you know, a nerdy guy, like, like, maybe I should start looking at those guys because maybe they're all right, too. Like, all it needed was that one line from either of them to explain why they were together. Yeah, I just felt like that speech really could have been amazing. And it really kind of just fell flat to me. And I was disappointed by that. Yeah, it just seemed over the top. It seemed like his, like, big hero moment. And I was like, all right, yeah, yeah. move on it probably didn't help that there was a slow clap literally an actual slow clap and then the entire student body is like cheering for him the thing i didn't buy from it is i don't understand why the guy didn't deck him especially at the end he hands him the bat like he was humiliated the dummy in that situation usually decks him. I'm glad he didn't. Violence is not the solution, folks. But I don't know why he didn't. Because he learned a lesson and it was a really powerful speech and a slow clap. Also, though, because you mentioned getting decked, I saw in the trivia that in the background of that scene, one extra punches another extra just kind of off in the distance. I completely missed it when we watched the movie last night. But after I read that trivia, I did put the DVD back in the player, and you can see it. I think on IMDb, they use the phrase sucker punch, and it's not really a sucker punch. The guy just kind of, like, hits the guy, like, in the chest. It's not like he knocks him out or anything. It's Uh anticlimactic. Not worth going back to look for. It's not like the Wizard of Oz thing where you're like, there's something swinging in the background of that scene. Yeah, there's all the mysteries of what that is. You know the part where uh, she dances off with the Tin Man and the... uh, the scarecrow, there's something swinging in the back, and it's always been hypothesized everything from one of the uh, munchkins uh, was hanging themselves to it was a oh, prop yeah. that fell to it was just some lighting. Like when we saw Teen Wolf out, remember there was that guy that apparently was like his yeah. pants were down or something? Oh, it's not apparently. You can see him pull his pants down. But Courtney, let me ask you, do you think that Can't Buy Me Love stands the test of time? Yeah, so I've been thinking about this for a while, even though, obviously, it was my my movie selection, mm-hmm. um, so that kind of gives me a little bit of a preference for it. I think going back and watching it and seeing how it may have changed 
from what I originally thought it was to what it is now. It's very predictable. Doesn't really have any of those pull-throughs that make it like, oh, this is a, a classic that even though it's predictable, I still love it. It has that sentimental value. I don't think it does. I think it's just one more teen movie kind of storyline that we can anticipate or we've seen before. I would say no, it does not stand the test of time. Okay. James, what do you think? Um, There's a line that does not stand up. I I understood it because uh, I was alive at that time. But uh, when Barbara is making out with Ronald, she says, uh, reach out and touch someone. And that was an old uh, long distance line. Right. AT&T, I think. Uh, that, MCI, one of those things. But uh, I'll tell you one thing that this movie uh, stood in the zeitgeist, because when we were in college, Alan and I, we were in a fraternity. Do you remember what my little brother's pledge name was, Al? Not even a little bit. His uh, pledge name was Ronald Miller, because they said, oh, he paid money to hang out with the cool kids. Um, I do want to ask you something about the end of the film. In the last scene of the film, Cindy goes up to Ronald and hands him an envelope and says, that should just about cover it. Is she paying him back the $1,000? Because I think that she broke the terms of their contract. He said, "Um, I'm going to pay $1,000. You're my boyfriend. And the very last thing he says before they uh, go into the high school together is, we take this secret to our grave. Uh, She broke the terms of the contract. I was wondering at the end, does she pay him back $1,000? I thought that's what that was. I thought so, too. I thought that was it. She she gave him the $1,000 back. I thought that was so weird. Like, I still think he got what he paid for. I don't think she should have paid him the $1,000. I I really didn't uh, get what that was, like why she paid him back. Um, But this film, it actually had a lot more good parts than I thought it would. But it was not in its whole a good film. It is a great 80s film, though. If you want to see, like, trapped in its time, an 80s film, that's what you see. However, there's better 80s romantic comedies or, or, you know, teen comedies that are even better. I liked uh, Better Off Dead more than this film. Uh, You know, John Hughes made some films that might have been better than this one. I just don't think this one had anything that original with it, except to show that some of the actors in this film uh, did have a a little je ne sais quoi, like uh, Patrick Dempsey and Seth Green, and we did not see the end of them. Uh, But this film, uh, no, it does not stand the test of time. Is it a terrible film? No. Do you have to see it? No, you, you don't have to. It's a film of the 80s, and uh, it does not stand the test of time. Uh, what do you think, Al? So to answer your question from earlier, when you said, why does she pay him back? I think the answer is because of the title of the movie. It's Can't Buy Me Love. So if she gives him a refund and then they kiss, then he did not buy her love. I'm not saying that that makes good logical sense. I'm saying I think that's why they did it. This movie was originally called Boy Rents Girl, and then they changed the title once they secured the rights to the Beatles song. And I don't blame them at all for doing that. It's a much more famous name, you know, Can't Buy Me Love. It's a great name for a film. It's fantastic. I totally get that. I was thinking, 
what the hell was Yoko Ono thinking? Why the hell would she license this song to this movie? She should know better. But then I looked it up. Yoko Ono did not own the rights to this song. This was after Michael Jackson had bought the rights to the Beatles catalog. And Michael Jackson had an amusement park in his house. He needed money for things like that. Yeah, he probably was just like, yeah, sure. What do I care? Why the hell not? That's why you buy a catalog, to license it out. Yes, exactly. And Paul McCartney has said that he didn't like the way that all of the Beatles music has been licensed everywhere, and it kind of rubs him the wrong way, but wasn't a lot he could do about it for a very long time. I mean, it's just, it's beneath the Beatles, this movie. But I would argue that even though she does give him a refund at the end, he kind of can buy love. The only reason they end up together is because of the transaction. He gave her money, then they fake had a relationship, and now they have a real relationship. It only existed because of the transaction. Mind blown. Right? So the title is kind of a misnomer. Also, you know, I mentioned Freaks and Geeks earlier. I think that Freaks and Geeks does a really, really good job of exploring the concept of what happens when kids in high school want to move around in the click structure. And, you know, it's a little bit unfair of a comparison because that show had 18 episodes to explore that. This movie only has an hour and a half or an hour 40 or whatever. But this movie isn't as good as Freaks and Geeks when it comes to exploring that. Also, White Lotus. James, did you watch the second season of White Lotus? I have not seen any of the White Lotus. Okay. Well, it's not really a spoiler, but season two is all about the transactional nature of sex. And that show does a really good job of exploring that. And this movie is exploring the transactional nature of relationships, not really sex, but still, it's an interesting thing to explore, but it's not explored very well in this movie. This movie has a lot of big ideas that it is trying to delve into, and it just drops the ball over and over again. It leaves a lot on the table, and no, I do not think it stands the test of time. Also, a lot of weird product placement in this movie. I mean, that as a thing stands the test of time. You see that in modern movies, but there are a lot of Coke cans and Coke cups and the Doritos bag you pointed out, like the old style Doritos bag. Oh yeah, remember the ones with the little window where you could see the delicious Doritos inside. (laughs) And the font, just like that weird like font that said Doritos. Yes. Um, But yeah, I noticed uh, a couple of uh, things like that that just kind of took me out of the movie. Do you know one of the secrets to opening up a bag of chips for maximum deliciousness? What's that? The secrets, especially with potato chips, but any kind of chips uh, really works. You open them upside down because all the delicious stuff falls to the bottom. So if you turn it upside down, then you open it there, you get all that stuff on your chips and it's more Ah. delicious. What's the delicious stuff? All those crumbs that fall to the bottom. Oh. So if you turn it upside down and open it there, the precipitation of the spices is going to fall onto the uh, chips. It's delicious. Secret Al does not like Doritos. 
But it does have any kind of chips. I mean, does it? Even if it if it's not like flavored with like stuff on top, right? It doesn't work with like you know Cape Cod regular chips, but it would work with any kind of sour cream and onion or any kind of you know chipotle. He doesn't like sour cream and onion either. Do you like any seasoning on any salted snack? Barbecue. I like barbecue chips. Then open the barbecue chips upside down now. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll try it if you insist. But I'm sorry that we all said no to your Valentine's Day movie this year, Courtney. It's okay. We got to mix it up once in a while. That's true. You can't love everything. Oh, you should uh, tell that to Darren. Darren uh, just came on for his seventh time, and we found out that he said yes to all seven of his movies. Note to Darren, Courtney's doing a little bit of a better job than you. Just so you know. Mixing it up. Gotta mix it up. Still, happy Valentine's Day to you, Courtney, and to you, James, and to all our listeners. We love all of you. But that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, we are going to discuss Tombstone with Dan Deveni. That's an episode we tried to do a couple weeks ago, and we had some technical difficulties, but it's going to happen. We're finally going to talk about Tombstone. That's his favorite movie, uh, a classic Western that I'd never seen before. So I'm really excited to see that movie. Until then, you know where we are. We are at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We love to hear from you. You can also email us at the Test of Time Podcast at gmail.com. Write us a nice review on Apple Podcasts. If you listen to us there, we appreciate that. And we'll see you next time, everybody. Bye. Happy Valentine's Day. And Courtney, just in case you're wondering why Al bought such an inexpensive Valentine's Day gift, he could go, because love, you can't. James did. James did. You James did. Totally James did.